You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 11. Today we are in Valdepeñas de Jaén. Sweet worries, huh? but uh, yeah. Just uh, try to go through today uh, and then yeah, we talk uh, about more. Huh? Well, that was Primoz Roglic, sweet worries. He's becoming the master of the pithy phrase in this welter so far. My name's Lionel Burney and I'm with Daniel Freib. You're over in Spain somewhere. Daniel, whereabouts are well, you? I would hope you would know, Lionel. I'd, I'd hope you would be following the welter closely enough to know where I am. I'm in <laughs> well, you're, you're in a little de, town. I'm in Valdepeñas de Jaén. And in fact, Lionel, I'm waiting for Rog. Primoz Roglic, the master of the bomber. Right now, I'm well. I won't be speaking to him, but I can see some colleagues who will be, um, sort of sitting on a ledge, a few meters above the spot where he will be appearing to do the last interviews of the day. He's already done a press conference, and then we heard him there this morning um, using a phrase I think he's already used once in the world, talking about sweet worries. This is the Primoz Roglic. Um, equivalent of first world problems I guess and he was talking about the dilemma of whether to whether to get the, the red jersey back whether to leave it uh, for a few more days to odd Christian Iking and uh, well he hasn't got it back has he but it was a it was a good day for Rog. What a luxurious position just to kind of loan it out I mean the The, the red jersey does feel like it's on a, a stretch of elastic at the moment, doesn't it? And uh, Rog just need to tug it at um, the moment of his choosing and it will be back on his shoulders. Uh, I should just say, no Buffalo, Richard Moore. He, we, I know where you are, Daniel. I know where the welter is today uh, because I've looked on Google Maps. But I'm, I can't use Google Maps to find where the Buffalo is. He's roaming wild somewhere, unable to join us at this precise moment but we might get a, a cameo appearance towards the end of this episode if not he'll be back tomorrow this this reminds me lionel uh, last night at dinner i uh, well we'll get the wine chat in early we'll get it out of the way early tonight um i ordered well i tried to order a bottle of wine um, from the otherwise very charming waitress and said well can you recommend me something local red and she said oh well we've got a nice rioja and i said well rioja is about a thousand kilometers away <laughs> could we get a little bit closer than that Um, I'm not. Th I'm not sure wine was her specialist subject, but well, was it red? That's it, it was That's red. It was thing. red. I'm just. It's just struck me. I wonder if the buffalo. He's out there somewhere on the plains, just on a little hillock, posing against us. You know, the creating a, a buffalo-shaped. Yeah, a buffalo-shaped silhouette against the the late afternoon sky, like the. Because you're in that part of Spain now, aren't you? Where the the The, the, the bull there silhouettes are, on the hillsides are, are quite common, aren't there they? There are a lot of them. I, I think there are a lot of them in Andalusia. I can't remember. I used to be, well, during one Welter anyway, I, was a, I became an expert on this. Um, I seem to recall there were about, well, there were about 300 of these Osborne bulls. Um, you can look up what, what the Osborne bulls were and, and still are. Um, there's plenty of information about that online, but they're these huge, um, well, they're, they're almost cardboard cutouts aren't they Lionel but slightly more sturdy than that of of bulls shaped silhouettes that dot the Spanish countryside there are some reason, regions that hardly have any and there are some regions that are very densely populated with Osborne bulls and I think you're right I think Andalusia has quite a lot And, and I think a world exclusive. There's, there's now one somewhere near Amiens in northern France where, where the, the, the buffalo bull is, is standing I tell you anyway 
I'll tell you what else this region has a lot of, Lionel, the province of Hayen specifically, olive trees. Um, it's an enormous producer of olives and olive oil. And uh, the province produces more olive oil than any other province in Spain. Just as a province as well, it produces more olive oil than Italy, which is second in the league table of olive oil producing countries. Impressive. Impressive. Well, uh, I mean, you know, enough olive oil and, and Osborne bull. Twenty percent. Twenty percent of the world's twenty percent of the world's olive oil comes from the province of Hayen, apparently. Extraordinary, extraordinary. Well, let's recap stage eleven, shall we? I'll tell you who would have uh, benefited from a little, I don't know, some kind of small capsule of olive oil in his back pocket in his jersey, Magnus Court, because it was a case of déjà vu, or should that be déjà vu? today because Court was trying to pull off the impossible for the second time in this race and maybe a little squirt of olive oil on that incredibly steep slope might have caused his pursuers uh, all sorts of mishap as it was Court was caught in the final couple of hundred meters but it was an absolutely staggering ride again by the EF education Nippo rider he got into a break of five riders along with uh, Edward Plankart of Alpacin, Lastra Cajaral, uh, our audio diarist Joanne Bau of Uskaltel and Harm Van Hooker of Lotto Sudal. And they worked very well together. And we had this trickier run into the finish. There was a, a similar-ish climb to yesterday, but then a, a well, really nasty kick up into the finishing town. Almost a sort of Murdehui type climb at the end. Um, you know, very narrow roads as well and Court had dropped the others and was got, still clear on his own going into the bottom of that climb it was only sort of 15 or so seconds going into the final 900 metres to the line it always looked like uh, he was going to get caught but then there was a fleeting moment when it looked like he might stay away as Primoz Roglic and Enric Mass went shoulder to shoulder at one point as the road narrowed and kinked slightly they actually did bump shoulders and then after that, they, they sort of sat up, and that was the moment when it looked like Court might do it again. But then Roglic and Mass staged a sort of second round, and this time Roglic had the better, not just of uh, Court, but also of Enric Mass. And he won his second stage of the Welter and hoovered up a time bonus and denied Movistar a stage win. Remember, they're still waiting to win a Grand Tour stage this season. And I was looking this up today, Daniel, and it's the last time that the Movistar team, although it wasn't called Movistar back then in 1996, uh, that was the last time they failed to win a stage of either the Giro, the Tour or the Welter in the same season. So uh, they really need to pull one out of the bag. I know there's half the race still to go and Mass and Lopez have got decent chances, but their main objective is obviously trying to unseat Roglic. Um, so... Odd Christian Eiking hung in very well. He's still in the red jersey, although his lead has been trimmed by 21 seconds because Rog uh, took the time bonus. The top 10 is very much the same as it was yesterday with Martin, Guillaume Martin, second, 58 seconds behind Eiking. The only change in the top 10 is that Adam Yates has leapfrogged Sepp Kuss. There were a couple of uh, significant non-starters today, Alex Aramburu of Astana and the double stage winner Jasper Philipson, who was... The only man really giving 
Fabio Jakobsen a run in the green jersey competition. Jakobsen's lead is now over Roglic, 79 points, but it struck me with uh, the finishes we've got to come. Rog could roglify the points competition as well as the red jersey. He could roglify everything. Will he, is he going to roglify the, the mountains competition as well? Well, he could do, couldn't he? Uh, Caruso stretched his lead a little bit over Roman Bardet, pinching a few points on that climb um, just before the run to the finish. But I mean, was, I wouldn't uh, on the face of it, sorry. I wouldn't put it past Rog to go so fast at one of these climbs that he actually turns back time and becomes and qualifies for the Young Riders competition again. <laughs> You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you to our title sponsors, Super Sapiens. If you want to find out more about Super Sapiens, go to their website, which is supersapiens.com, or enter our competition at thecyclingpodcast.com and win three months' access to the Super Sapiens system to monitor your glucose levels. Let's find out from Asker Jürgendrup of Jumbo Visma, a nutritionist and sports scientist, about how Super Sapiens can help athletes of all levels to uh, monitor their glucose in real time to optimize their fueling and their riding. We can't use it yet in uh, in races, but in in training we can we can use these sensors and then try to learn from this and see if we can learn from it in a way that we can improve our fueling tactics. And with um, with Jumbo Visma, we 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 also use um, a program to help guide the riders to eat and it's actually very prescriptive so they eat according to what their training is they eat also on race days um, according to the the calories they would need the carbohydrates they they would need and it's all very precisely calculated and that's beautiful of course if you want to if we know exactly what they're eating we can then link that to the the glucose data we also know exactly what they're doing on the bike, of course, with the uh, with the power meters. So we can also link that to the glucose responses. And I think if you collect enough data, even though there may be individual differences, you're going to see patterns appearing. And uh, so that's what we um, that's what we try to do. But ultimately, the goal is, of course, to fine tune the uh, the fueling tactics that we have. Well, Daniel, it sounds a little bit like the Vuelta is packing up behind Very you there. Much so. I can hear a truck in the background. Still Are they no taking all the barriers down? Still no sign of Rog, though. He's keeping still everyone no sign waiting. Of the buffalo. No, no. Amazing. I don't the think two the two most significant figures. 
<laughs> the two most significant figures of this welter absent at the moment, but uh, we, we, we wait on. Um, well, this morning, uh, Daniel, the stage started in Antiquera, wasn't it? And there was quite a bit to wash up from yesterday, really. We had sort of unanswered questions and a few loose ends about uh, Roglic, his attack and his crash, and, you know, what he and others thought about his decision to try and stretch things out on that final climb yesterday didn't we yes we did Lionel and well first thing to say was we're in as you say we're in Antequera um, absolutely gorgeous Andalusian town not very well known outside of Spain I don't think but uh, a sort of quintessential example of an Andalusian city or small town beautiful uh, whitewashed buildings uh, surrounded by mountains and olive groves very very beautiful and as you said, the talk this morning was very much still about what occurred yesterday and all sorts of theories flying around about why Roglic had attacked and when he decided to attack, whether he should have attacked. Um, I heard an interesting one on a, on a rival podcast, a Spanish podcast. I don't know if, that, if that's giving too much away. Spanish language podcast um, suggesting that it was in response to Ineos upping the pace and trying to get him back into the red jersey yesterday and he decided to break their rhythm by taking matters into his own hands i think that theory was sort of debunked by some of the some of the um well explanations we heard this morning but let's hear a few of those um, now shall we from jumbo visma themselves adi engels rog we heard from him this morning about how he was and, uh, and whether he had any regrets about what he did, what he tried yesterday. And finally, um, someone from a rival team, Carlos Verona of Movistar. yesterday you told us you'd be perfectly happy with the same position in a week and was that a big lie or what happened no that was not a big lie uh, and uh, no I was, I was t totally honest and uh, of, of course the attack of Primoz came as a big surprise uh, he also surprised us not not at the moment of the attack of course then we knew about it but uh, yeah when he brought up the idea to to have a go for it because he felt really strong then he surprised us as well because I, I, I was really happy with the situation as he was in the yesterday morning I'm still happy with the situation as it is now I mean first of all of course we had a breakaway of uh, over 30 guys which gave the opportunity to to give away the jersey which we thought was at that moment uh, yeah at this, at this moment in the race still still possible and a good thing to do um, but you're also not in control of that you I mean that if, if 31 guys go uh, then then it, you have to see who is in it, it, there could have been another situation where it was not a good idea to do it but yesterday we thought it would be so that was first change of plan and then the second one uh, yeah when, when Primos brought up the idea to, to to have a go for it to try to attack because he felt really strong and that was when he came back to the car with 55 to go is that when he was talking about it with Grisha I think so. I think so. Yes. I mean, uh, I was I was doing second car yesterday, so it was not discussed. It was discussed at the car, so I think it must have been then. And then we discussed about it. Uh, also knowing, of course, that it was risky. Uh, we also knew the descent was risky. And uh, but on the other hand, when 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 your leader feels so strong and he he, he brings up the idea himself, then 
yeah, uh, it's, it's just something to admire from my side and also from Grisha's side. And uh, yeah, after a quick talk, we, we both agreed not to stop him and just to, to, to have him go. And is Sepp's bike set up in such a way that Primoz could have taken that? Is that a, a contingency plan? If, if Primoz's bike had broken yesterday, could he have taken Sepp's? Oh yes, he, he could have taken Sepp's. Yeah, would, would not have been ideal, but when, when, when you need to, everything is possible. But when he needs to, he can also take the bike of Gesek. But, uh, you know, of, of course it is risky. Uh, on the other hand, he, the, the dangerous was that technical and that tricky. Uh, it can also happen when, when you're in the wheel of, uh, of, of those guys. And, and, and then you are already 20 or 30 seconds behind when you get on the bike again. So on the other hand, um, yeah. Of course, it was a shame that it happened. It was, it was, uh, could have been an, uh, an even bigger difference. But yeah, in the end, we also have to accept that cycling is risky. And like Primo said after the finish yesterday, no, no risk, no glory. And uh, of course, we still have a long way to go. But it's, yeah, I, I think we should admire him for that, and uh, that he's willing to able to race like this. Uh, yeah, like you know what I mean. Always then after uh, after a war or whatever, it's always uh, easy to be smarter. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I take positive things that uh, yes, uh, I, I dropped everyone uh, going uphill, and uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, would be way uh, nicer if I could also manage to, to come down the climb, but uh, yeah, it was a little too fast uh, and uh, yeah, uh, still I'm lucky everything went well uh, and uh, yeah, uh, taking uh, these feelings uh, for today. Yeah, I think anyone expect that attack. I think it was my surprise because he already he had uh, a lot of teammates, so we didn't expect it when, when we saw him moving. Like we were a little bit like, what's what's going on? So I think that's why he also took some time because Enrique Miguel Angel, yeah, uh, I think needs some time to realize what's happening. And yeah, we knew the design was really dangerous. So yeah, at the end we are sorry that uh, Primoz crash, but I think it was. Eh, risky. Well, Daniel, speak of the devil, it's not Primoz Roglic, we're still waiting for Rog, but it is I the am. Buffalo, Richard Moore, he has made it, you've uh, you've made the time cut, Richard, you, you're going to feature on, <laughs> yeah, you're late, yeah, do you, did you see the stage? I've done. I've done a Delgado. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I watched stage. Good stage. Um, I've caught up with everything, Lionel. I just happened to be stuck stuck in a car somewhere. It's a long story. It's a long story. I'll not bore you with it. A friend special, but, maybe the day you got lost. Mm, no, no. It's actually my wedding anniversary day, and I tried to do something nice, and uh, and 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 it, it backfired because I got stuck in in traffic oh. somewhere. So, um, oh, well, happy it's, anniversary. It's fine. It's fine. Thank you. Thank you. Happy um, no, all, all's well. All's well that ends well. And here I am. Um, are you still referring to the... I really enjoyed the, the stage. You're not still referring to the marriage here? I yeah, think. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs>
Uh, well, chaps, did you did you have any footnotes, any closing thoughts, um, any any sort of after the after the event, after the fact reflections on yesterday and Rog's crash and, and what came out in the wash overnight? Well, I probably um, was guilty of over-egging it slightly because uh, you know I talked about the effect of his recovery and so on, and that could still it could still have an impact in in the third week. You know, it's still still a long way. Long way to go. Roglic has been very, um, very, very calm and and relaxed about it, as you'd expect him to be. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, as you said, Daniel, yesterday was overall a, a good day for him, and today was another good day for him. And there's nothing. There, there are no signs there that that the crash has so far had any any ill effects, either in terms of time or in his sort of physical condition. So. Probably, uh, we probably, I probably made a bit of a bit of a mountain out of a molehill with it, in effect. And what we didn't hear, chaps, was Addy Engels also telling me this morning that they were going to go for the stage today. They were pretty committed to work. I think partly because it was a short stage, partly for some of the reasons we discussed last night that there was a likelihood that other teams, there the were a couple of other teams that might work, Intermarche being one of them, and Bike Exchange being another for. Uh, Michael Matthews by all accounts this morning Rog was feeling good and he was up for the cup yeah it surprised me that bike exchange doing all of that work for Matthews uh, especially when looking at the uh, finishing hill I mean Daniel you you presumably saw it very close up and just how steep it was but it it did look a little bit out of Michael Matthews range that and as it proved I mean he was 23rd but that was a lot of work to do on a, on you know a hunch if they didn't know precisely what the climb was going to be like. What I thought was definitely out of his range line, Law, where he was going to have problems was on the penultimate climb, and I was taken aback, quite surprised by well how hard the penultimate climb was, uh, and this uh, Puerto de uh, Locubin, which I I found out later, Jack Haig had the held the KOM, the Strava KOM on before today um, because it featured in 2017 uh, Vuelta on the stage to La Pandera but it was a really tough climb and the thing I immediately thought as we drove over it today was that it was going to be pretty much impossible to move up and to gain positions on that climb and once you know Evian Bovisma took control as they did or Ineos set the pace and um, yeah Matthews I think was just slowly losing positions and, and he was certainly well his legs were certainly hurting on that climb and I think that must have then affected him on the on the final climb which in itself probably was you know within his capabilities it wasn't particularly long it was shorter than the Mudahui and, and the hardest bit was at the, the start in fact which should have suited him but I just think that the stage had been too difficult for him and Jumbo Visma's pace had been too difficult for him for a lot of the day well, yeah, it was a short very steep climb to finish but it, ju- it just shows you doesn't it you don't need long mountain passes that the four the big four emerge at the front once again and those four just seem to be getting stronger as the race goes on and, and everybody else comparatively weaker um and i I'm, i said it last night but Haig is is really impressing me Um he's always there um you know he looks really sharp and um, mass i thought looked really good today as well on a, on a finish that certainly really suited roglic and less so you'd have thought mass so um those four you know mass lopez Hague, and roglic are definitely you know one of them is going to win the vuelta aren't they wow you you've, you've stuck your neck out there that's 
<laughs> no, you, you think you still still think uh, you still think uh, Grosjean can do it, Lionel? <laughs> no, I, I I still think uh, Guillaume Martin is uh, is a is a man to watch, and until he gets dropped and slips down to ninth on GC. <laughs> yeah, but but it was it was really a masterpiece. Uh, we're we're almost matter of fact now about these Primoz Roglic stage wins. This um, what I've what I've referred to as a roglification that inevitably happens on these finishes um, but he really has turned this into his signature move hasn't he and today what impressed me today was how much the team contributed really from as I said 30-40 kilometres to go on the way into that penultimate climb and, and I think they, they swept away a lot of the doubts that we had about them last week or they have done in the last two or three difficult stages um, certainly the one at the weekend to uh, Velefique and today as well, they all contributed, Bauman, Uman, um, Kreisweik, and, and then Sepkus did this incredible lead out into the bottom of the final climb, which wasn't long, it was maybe only three or 400 meters, but it, 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 he needed that, you know, if he'd have been 10 or 15 positions further, further back, I think it would have been very difficult for Roglic to win the stage. But just on the strength of the team, and I did mention Bauman and the work he did. Um, I actually caught up with Kern Bauman after the finish to talk about his job today and also Primoz Roglic's stage win. Yeah, we made sure there was a small break and that Scott Nielsen was in there wasn't uh, perfect for us because yeah, he's such a strong rider and this for Vuelta, he's really incredible. But uh, in the end, we chased him down. I think he got caught with only 200 meters to go. So it was close, but... Uh, we are happy that uh, Primoz won again. Yeah, yesterday in the bus he was already smiling and uh, laughing about it. I mean, uh, maybe he did take a too, too much risk, uh, risk yesterday. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's also racing and I guess uh, nobody did expect that he would attack over there. And yeah, uh, I think he's just enjoying it. He has incredible legs and uh, the team is getting better and better. And yeah, we still have to do 10 stages. So. Uh, we have to be every day 100% focused, but uh, so far so good. Okay, and you said the team's getting better and better. Um, last week there were a few people questioning you. Sivakov said, oh, they don't seem as strong as, as they usually do. But today, you know, Sepp did an amazing lead out. You did the work on the penultimate climb. Stephen was strong, Sam was strong. Is everyone going well now at the, at the moment? I yeah, uh, I, think, uh, I think we do. Uh, the first climb, Pico Blanco, I think it's called. Uh, as a team, we weren't good over there. Uh, yeah, what it was, I don't know. Uh, just maybe an off day from the team, uh, except for Primos. But now, yeah, it seems to go better and better. And yeah, maybe it's not even the legs, but also mentally, if you have a strong guy like this, you can always push harder. And uh, yeah, what I said, the atmosphere is really good now in the team. And yeah, still 10 days to go, but looks good. And uh, yeah, we go for it. Another rog roglification, as you said, uh, Daniel. But at one point, um, Mass drew level and seemed to be chatting away to him. I wondered whether they were discussing whether they should just give Magnus Court the stage win. But had Mass, um, you know, uh, t taken taken on Roglic there and, and beat him, would that have been a mastication? Oh, oh, oh. well, you mentioned their little tangle. Uh, their little coming together, as it would be called, in, uh, on Sky Sports Football Punditry. And Matt actually spoke about that at the finish. And we'll just hear what he said in Spanish, and then I'll translate. 
No, que perdón, porque en un momento nos hemos tocado un poco ahí. Nada, eh, tenemos buena relación y nos, nos hemos pedido disculpas mutuamente y nada, nada. So, chaps, he said uh, they were, everything was fine between he and Roglic. They got a good relationship and they both said sorry to each other and it was just a, a gentle little little shoulder barge. So, some, no some sharp elbows, some sharp elbows from Masso, I thought. You know, he certainly didn't. He didn't flinch, did he? He stood his ground. What's I never touched him, ref, in Spanish? <laughs> it was a dive, ref. <laughs> just, just on Rog Watch. Still no sign, but I'm, I'm full of admiration for my television colleagues here who are still who show no signs of, of packing up and leaving. It's now well after an hour since the finish. There, there, there might be a candlelit vigil. Uh, well, he's become he's become the he's become the master of the the wine one liner, hasn't he? You don't want to miss that old rog. Um, it's like a stand-up tour he's on, isn't he? <laughs> Dan, uh, yeah, um, yeah, a very laid-back stand-up. Um, you you you, meant, you 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 I mentioned Jack Haig already. Um, you spoke to him at the finish as well, didn't you? I did, Rich. Explosive final, definitely. Uh, I was actually kind of hoping after we went over the second last climb there. Jumbo was slowly running out of people and I was kind of hoping Van Baal would slow it down a little bit and let Magnus get the stage win for the bonus seconds because I think nine times out of ten Rodlich was going to win this stage. Um, but yeah, wow, that was a hard climb, especially that little chicane and I think it was about 100 meters to go and it felt like forever, oh my god. Yeah, we knew it was going to be so intense the last 30 kilometers. I mean, how hard was it just to move up positions from about 30k in because it was just full gas? I made a really conservative effort just to get in position really early and I had the team there so I think I had a relatively easy uh, positioning there and it definitely saved me a lot of energy but for sure the people that got caught behind were using a lot. It's actually relatively hard all day to be honest. Like the brake took a little bit to go and then uh, Jumbo tried to keep the gap quite small and especially those first sort of I think 40 or 60 kilometers it was quite narrow roads up and down and uh, yeah it was uh, not easy that's for sure. What did you make of that, chaps? Jack Haig were mentioning that Ineos possibly had the opportunity um, when Jumbo Visma were actually losing men, or um, Bauman and Kreuzwick and, um, and Haysink, they'd all done their work. And there was a moment, and it was probably the moment when David De La Cruz got away, when Ineos possibly could, put, could have put the brakes on, made sure um, that Magnus Court stayed away to win the stage. But... Haig didn't feel they'd done that and Roglic picked up those bonus seconds which have, as we've said many times before, they've been absolutely key to his success in major tours over the last few years. Yeah, Dylan Van Baal, what, what, why was he working so hard at that particular moment on the front, I wonder? Who was that for? I mean, at that moment, Bernal was really well placed high up, so was Adam Yates. Um, but you wouldn't have thought that well, maybe Yates might be able to take on Roglic on a climb like that as best, but it kind of did play into Roglic's hands, didn't it? Yeah, and we spoke about this earlier in the year at the start of the season, didn't we? How other teams could possibly devise strategies to prevent him getting these bonuses. And I don't think, you know, it's not going to be the difference between Roglic and, and an Ineos rider at this Vuelta España. It doesn't look like that at the moment. But, um, you know, it's, it's another Grand Tour when the bonuses will have been a bit, a bit of a cornerstone of Roglic's campaign here his his bid to win 
a third welter and you know maybe that Movistar and Mass and Superman come to rue the fact that they've not been able to deny him some of these bonuses but of course it's really difficult on um, on a climb like today's which where he is on that terrain he's far and away the best rider in the world with the exceptions possibly only possibly of Pogacar and Alaphilippe. Yeah I mean the impression is that Roglic is hoovering up time bonuses here there and everywhere and and he is to an extent i mean of all the gc riders he's well clear he's taken 22 seconds in bonuses compared to 10 seconds by mass and four seconds by lopez so far in the welter and yeah it's difficult though isn't it what's what's the tactic they the others have just got to hope um or try to engineer break staying away to hoover up those seconds so that roglic doesn't um, have the opportunity to take them but again that's that's easier said than done when there are other riders you know aiming for stage wins and what have you but uh, 22 seconds yeah he could be could double that over the second half of the race it's it's a significant chunk of time isn't it science in sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the vuelta España. science in sport fueled by science Thanks very much indeed to uh, Science and Sport for their support of the Cycling Podcast. For 25% off all your Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code SISCP25 at the checkout. SISCP25. Y quizás siempre hay que guardar un poco para el final. El final es mucho más ancho, son los últimos 350 metros que baja un poco la pendiente y es ahí donde, si quieres ganar, donde se hace verdaderamente la distancia. Well, who was that, Daniel? Watch out, that was Purito Rodriguez, who was at the start today. He, well, he's at the start every day because he works as an ambassador for La Vuelta. And he was the last Vuelta stage winner at Valdepeñas de Jaén. Not surprisingly, because he specialised like Primoz Roglic does and in finishes like this. And he was saying there that the key point as far as winning a stage was concerned would be the last couple of hundred metres and last, uh, the last final sting in the tail and not necessarily the, the steep sort of 20% wall that came earlier on. And that proved to be the case. It certainly proved fatal. They proved fatal those last 200 metres or so to Magnus Court Nielsen, didn't they? 49 seconds he lost in those last 200 meters um i mean that doesn't really matter um uh, but i mean what a, what a ride from him again um we're going to hear from him in a, in a moment or two but an absolute master class in you know r- riding in a break and then timing his effort to perfection and, and almost getting it right again almost i should also just add rich that i mentioned Perito Rodriguez winning in 2015. Enric Mass had apparently watched, we claimed at the finish today, to have watched the video of Perito winning 55 times. But he said it still wasn't enough because um, he still kind of got vertigo when he looked up. Can you get vertigo when you look up? When he turned the, the right-hand corner and was faced by this deadly, lethal um, Muro Pared de Valdepeñas de Jaén. I, I, the question I would have for Eric Mass is why? Why would you keep count? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not sure about the accuracy of, of that, um, but uh, we'll take him at his word on that. Um, but yeah, it was. It was a, a really, a really uh, spectacular finish, and just a, a ramp too far for for um, Magnus Court, wasn't it? Um, 
And, I mean, he's won a stage already, and he did it in similar fashion, being in a breakaway. Um, with, also with our audio diarist, John Bow was in, in that breakaway as well, and again today. Um, and then, you know, kind of using them, using them to, 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 to get what he wanted out of them before taking off and got it right the other day and almost got it right today. I mean, it, the, the bunch behind really had to chase hard just to, to get him to get him back and, and he, he almost did it but just not quite and you spoke to him at the finish Daniel I did and I thought what he, what, what he says here is really interesting about I suppose the, the art of being in a break and, and trying to win from a break it's, it's a very, very tough climb to finish with uh, up here when, when you come uh, come alone compared to sitting in the bunch and you saved your legs a little bit and yeah unfortunately there, there was nothing I could do today uh, to keep them, them behind me uh, Maybe five more seconds, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, that was what I had, and, and I gave it everything. And uh, I'm, I'm still happy with with the ride. I, I had really finger strong legs, and then did did good power up of the the last the, on the big climb. And uh, yeah, I don't think I could have, have done much more or anything different. Both when you won and today, it, it seems as though you've almost tricked the peloton into thinking that they're going to get you and then you go away again. Is that conscious or is that just the way it's worked out? Uh, I mean, the peloton is, is always the, the strongest player when you sit in a breakaway like, like that. And uh, But they also know that. And uh, yeah, you have the advantage of, of having a little bit of, of time. Today it wasn't much, but uh, yeah, I tried to, to use it to, to my advantage, uh, the little time gap I had. and. Uh, yeah, I think when we hit the last big climb, it was just like a time trial to the top and uh, came over the top. And <laughs> yeah, then do step by step, then the descent and uh, try to have a little bit for the for the final. But yeah, it was a hard thing. That was interesting, Rich, wasn't it? The way he talked about, well, as you said, the art of sort of timing a breakaway and, and trying to win from a breakaway like that. I, I talked the other day about how you know, breakaways can sort of vary their efforts or people in breakaways can vary their efforts and almost hoodwink the peloton into, into we're thinking the catch is imminent and then they kind of pull away the, the bait. And it, and it had looked to me as though that's what Magnus Court had done um, over, well, over, or on the two occasions when he's been away in this Vuelta España. I should also add that our Danish colleague from TV2, uh, Søren, informed me today that Magnus Court was going for uh, a record today. He would have equaled Bjarne Rees' Danish record of Grand Tour stage wins had he won today. But alas, that wasn't to be. I think he has five and he was going for number six. Yeah, just a comment on the sort of fragile alliance of, of these breakaways. I mean, their advantage was never huge, was it? A couple of minutes at, at most, really. And uh, yet they plugged away together. They worked very well together. And as you say, Rich, I think, you know, that's a, a good way of putting it. You know, he sort of used up his um, his colleagues. You know, they were friends until they were no use to him. And uh, he picked his moment to, to push on. And that's the kind of the ruthlessness that uh, that you need to win win from a break. Um, and it could have all come back together um, on the on the penultimate climb if the if the peloton had just you know been uh, really motoring at that point with a with the GC battle raging, but just managed to stay out of reach. Um, and and although it was a slender advantage at the bottom, he gave it absolutely everything in the final 900 meters. And uh, yeah, 
almost pulled it off. And uh, I mean, had he not uh, had he not already got a stage win in the bag, I, I'd have felt really bad for him today because uh, you know the, the the effort deserved to be rewarded with an, with another victory. But um, I'm sure he won't he won't be thinking, oh well, I've got I've got one. Never mind. I'm sure he they never to win had that much well. either, did they? The the break. They, no, they didn't. Ha- they never never had very much time at all. A so of it minutes. really was. Yeah, uh, you know. So the, the the sort of skill in that is, and it was it was interesting to hear him talking about that, Daniel. There was a pause at, when you asked him about that because it's almost, you know, you don't want to give away your secrets in a way. Um, and I think having ha- having won that the you know having already won a stage, I think that made it much harder for him today because the bunch was wise to the danger that he posed to them yeah in a way that the slender nature of the gap may well have played in their favor had it gone out to four or five minutes that might have ignited a bit of a chase and and put the pressure on and and got everybody warmed up and and the momentum would have been with the peloton so it's a sort of delicate old dance isn't it you you want to be away but maybe not too far away or uh, just you know the the it's lulling everybody not just those in the break but the peloton as well into that false false sense of security that everything will come back together and obviously in this occasion it did all come back together but it was mighty mighty close and and very entertaining to watch as well particularly because you know he'd stayed away last time and I'm sure everyone was uh, you know willing him to evade capture evade the uh, the the roglification I mean what happens to you once you've been roglified are you sort of set in a some kind of Slovenian concrete overnight and have to be chiseled out again in the morning (laughs) yeah and I think you're taken away to be exhibited in a, in a museum in in Ljubljana or, or somewhere like that, um, perhaps in formaldehyde. I don't know. Oh, it's. Uh, I thought we had a. I thought we had a rog sighting there, but no, it's odd. Christian Iking. I don't know. Maybe rogs already been through. I assumed. Well, when it I saw sounds the like they've 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 dismantled the entire place, Daniel, and still still where, where where does rog go is there a secret tunnel or something well people were starting to unpack sleeping bags and there was the odd decathlon tent <laughs> being produced and i thought <laughs> surely only surely they would only be doing that for rog but um no um great commitment to the cause of interviewing odd I- um, christian ike odd christian ike i thought i could sneak this reference in before the buffalo arrived line or uh, the first football reference of the evening but odd christian Iking, who was doing the best man marking job on Guillaume Martin since Claudio Gentili and um, and Diego Maradona in the 1982 World Cup he's following him everywhere I think he follows him to the, well, to the bathroom at night at least it's not <laughs> at least it's not Vinnie Jones and 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 Paul Gascoigne <laughs> oh, there's another there's another football reference for you that wouldn't that wouldn't go down well in a, in a bite race and would be practically difficult I imagine um Daniel, you spoke to somebody else at the start who whose presence at the Welt has been uh, left us slightly bemused because I, I guess everybody expected quite a lot from Tom Pitcock at, at some stage in the race, if not... Well, we didn't know what we would expect, but we expected something, didn't we? And he's so far been pretty invisible, apart from today pulling a very impressive wheelie on the climb up to the finish. Uh, 10 days into your first Grand Tour, just give me a few one of the surprises, main takeaways, things that you weren't expecting uh, when you came here. Uh, good question. I mean, yeah, it's very, very uh, full on. I mean, 
There's, yeah, the stages are not so long. We raced, yeah, four hours, five hours, but yeah, there's, you know, you wake up and most days you're doing something until you go to bed, and uh, that's the biggest thing, you know, being, uh, yeah, constantly doing something and not much time to actually chill out. Is this now your longest race at this point? Um, yeah. And, and are you really seeing the difference in terms of recovery that after a week, that recovery becomes a, a lot harder? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm recovering fine it's just my top end is not not there so i can't race like i would like to but did you know that before you came that it wouldn't be because of the preparation you did for the mountain biking yeah i mean i hoped i would be all right but in reality it was yeah i i think it was kind of obvious that i would be uh, i would have a hard time here um but yeah i think my base fitness is good so recovering is is not a problem and i can go each stage the same but yeah just uh, yeah the top end is is not where i it, it would be uh, it would be fun to be and everyone looks at today's finish and says well this could be one for you yesterday you sent a couple of guys in the in the break i don't know whether that signifies that the team is more open to giving other riders freedom i mean what what do you well what's what are the instructions for today if you can tell me them <laughs> no no we we'll try again for the break i think back you know basically every team apart from movistar and jumbo will probably try for the break so yeah um i think the break's got a good chance in most of the stages now left in this race apart from the one sprint stage um so yeah and we'll, we'll try for the break again but i don't think i'm in a shape to be able to to win a stage at the moment but I'll, I'll still try myself for the break maybe and uh yeah let's see just uh, race if i can if it all comes into the bottom of that final climb together we won't see you up there trying to out sprint roglic i guess will be at the front um i mean I, w I would like to i would i'd like to be there but uh no i don't i don't think uh it's gonna be poss possible yeah today but oh, i still i'll still try if i can uh but yeah like i said most probably i won't be able to well a very candid assessment from uh, tom pitcock about his performance so far at, at the vuelta i thought quite honest um and uh, it, it, uh, you know, so much is expected of him, and he has performed so well since turning pro just earlier this year. Remember um, that, as I said in the in the introduction to the interview, we did expect something from him here. Um, so I guess uh, you, you know, for him that might be disappointing, but he's obviously trying to get out of the world to whatever he can, and and certainly as a learning experience, I'm sure it will be valuable. I was curious, chaps, to hear him say that he lacked top end, I suppose naively, mm. someone who's not really an expert on mountain biking and, and well, cyclocross either, or in fact any forms of cycling, um, apart, from, <laughs> apart from maybe a few stages of the Grand Tours um, in the mountains. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought that, uh, I, I kind of would naively have thought that maybe the base, which he says, you know, is not a problem, um, would be that would be the issue for a grand tour and not the top end, but I've obviously got that completely upside down. Yeah, I mean, I, I, oh, here we go venturing into territory that I'm very uncomfortable on. But um, a mountain bike, you know, cross country mountain bike race, it, it, it is a different kind of effort. It's definitely a, um, a very intense, you know, bit bit a bit less intense than a cyclocross race, but with fewer of those. Perhaps fear of those really, um, you know, uh, full-on efforts. Um, it's almost like riding a, you know, a long time trial in a way, isn't it? A cross-country mountain bike race. So perhaps 
the sort of effort that you'd need on a climb like today, for example, might be might be missing from his repertoire at the moment. In a road race, you can make these efforts and then kind of recover from them. You can't really do that on a mountain bike um, so easily. It's It's got to be a, a slightly more level um, effort over the course of the race. So maybe, maybe that's what it is. He also broke his collarbone, of course, in the build-up to the Olympic Games. So there, there might be something just missing from, from him at the moment. I wondered if he was going to be training for the Worlds here, of course. Um, who knows? He might come out of the Worlds in great form. Um, but, yeah, he, he's... You know, if he's disappointed by his form at the Vuelta, he seems to be hiding it pretty well. So what's on the menu tomorrow, Daniel? Well, Rich, we're going from Jaén. So just up the road from we're in Val de Peñas de Jaén tonight. We're going to Jaén tomorrow morning. And we are heading to Córdoba. And it's another really interesting looking stage. There, there was a climb. I think it's the final climb tomorrow that really caught my eye on the road book. It was... It, looked to me like a misprint in the roadbook when I first saw it because it, it simply said the I think it's called La Cuesta del Catorce the, the, the climb of the 14 um, but that's actually what it's known as locally the, the, and that's actually what it's known as locally because there are 14% gradients um, on there and it's a, I think it's a hill that owes pretty much all of its notoriety in the Cordoba area to how difficult it is as a cycling climb. So that could well be a springboard for someone tomorrow. I'm not sure we're going to see any GC action, but it's not a dissimilar stage to the one we had yesterday to Rincón de la Victoria. I'm looking forward to going to Cordoba. I never really spent much time there. Of course, it is home to one of the most important religious buildings in Spain, um, the hotel formerly owned by Pavel Tonkov, um, the Hostelería wow. de la Talia, wow. which, is actually, which is actually really close to what the building that is one of the most important religious buildings in Spain, the Mesquita, which is the former Grand Mosque of Córdoba. Um, Córdoba was sort of the capital or the 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 base the headquarters of the the moors in andalusia until it was taken back by the christians in the reconquista i think in the 13th century but yeah poor old pavel pavel tonkov my hero of course has sold up apparently i was reading the local press chaps that pavel um, is no longer the owner of that hotel um it was sold in in august i was hoping to catch up with him one of these days or tomorrow and who knows maybe i still will maybe he'll be at the stage but he's no longer a hotel owner i would have liked ideally of course to stay there are you going to go is the friends special waiting to happen isn't it daniel in the in the footsteps of pavel tonkov on on tonkov and on tonkov's generation today was this was a special date because it was the 50th birthday i read today of um gilberto simoni of course, won mm. a famous stage of the Vuelta to the Angliru in, I think, 2000. I mentioned Daniel's um, forthcoming Friends special on Pavel Tonkov. A um, little reminder for very good friends of the podcast who are invited every year to submit ideas and become a guest editor of an episode. I think this is the fourth year we've done this. Um, you have until Friday to get your submissions in. We've been getting lots of ideas. And if you're a very, very good friend of the podcast, if you support us to the tune of a very generous hundred pounds a year um then you get the chance to submit an idea um and uh, become a guest editor of an episode some great ideas in already but for 
the rest of you have not sent an idea in yet, you have until Friday to do so. Please email me, Richard, at thecyclingpodcast.com with your idea in fewer than 100 words if you can. Thank you. End of public message. Um, and the end of tonight's podcast, I think. They're still dismantling the uh, the Vuelta, where, where you are, Daniel. So we'll let you head off to the, the Tonkov Hotel or wherever it is you're going. And we'll catch up with you again tomorrow night. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, chaps. Thank you, Lionel. Thanks, Daniel. I promise I'll ask you what was for dinner tomorrow. I forgot today. Sorry about that. I'm feeling peckish. Vamos, Dios.